This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. protesting on political issues, medical issues. Then he go on the steps of the temple of Diana and said, Diana is a false god. Come to Christ. No. What did they do? To change that culture, they share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as they share the gospel of Jesus Christ, without the New Testament, by the way, it wasn't fully canonized in that time. They changed that city around where now this god, Diana, is no more. One of the most fundamental ministries you and any Christian has is to simply share God's Word with everyone you can. Pastor Eddie's going to show you how big of an impact it made in the ancient temple of the false goddess Diane, to where idols made for her were even eventually thrown out. It can start with one person being faithful to live out the ministry they're called to. And that one person planting the seeds of revival could be you. Well, Let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 as he continues his message, Greetings from the Apostle Paul. You see in verse 3 of chapter 1, Paul is writing from Macedonia, but he's writing to Timothy, who's in Ephesus. So he sent Timothy to Ephesus. Ephesus is what we know today as modern-day Turkey. And so that's where Ephesus was. So if ever you look at a map, you say, oh, Turkey, think about it. Hey, there's a biblical background history there. And that's where Ephesus was. Ephesus was the largest city in the capital of the Roman province. It was the vital commercial center of Rome. Adding to the attractions of Ephesus was a temple dedicated to the goddess Artemis, a Latin language called Diana. That was the god. And if you go there today, there are some ruins left behind. It's known as the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so Diana was the most popular god of all the gods. Diana was known as the fertility god, but subsequently became the goddess of sexuality. And there's also another known god there. It's called the winged goddess of victory, and that is Nike. So if you have Nike shoes, very cultic, get rid, not just kidding. That's why they're on your feet, where they belong, in the floor, not just kidding. But during the Roman period, um, people from around the world, we're talking about prominent generals and politicians, would come to Ephesus to offer sacrifices to the statue of the goddess Diana. And although there were many gods were worshipped there in Ephesus, Diana was by far the most important deity in the first century. It wasn't until... 50 to 52 AD, during Paul's second missionary journey, you'll find in Acts chapter 18 and verses 19 to 28. And it was during this time when Paul met Timothy, when Paul came to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel continued to be shared by the apostle Paul and those that were converted and those that accepted Jesus Christ. The gospel spread out throughout Ephesus and churches began to grow. And they began to have other churches. 
It got to the point when you get to Acts chapter 19 during Paul's third missionary journey, when he gets there the third time, that the silversmiths, the silversmiths who created and formed these statues, these idols of Diana, they were losing a lot of business. They found the problem was that people were not worshiping Diana anymore. Many were coming to Christ. That city was turned over because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you find there was an uproar, and they got together, all the silversmiths, and they caused an uproar, and went after Paul, and started shouting out, you know, Diana, that she's the God. And so as Paul and the Ephesian believers preached the gospel, they continued to preach the gospel. That didn't stop Paul. The influence of Christianity grew, and the worship of Diana faded away the next 200 years. Later on, the temple dedicated to Diana was destroyed in 262 A.D., when you look at the scriptures and see how God moves, it should be a reminder to us. You know, I recommend we read this passage in Acts chapter 19, 18 and 19. Read it and see how God moved in that culture in that time. Because you'll find the Apostle Paul and the church of Ephesus, they didn't go around protesting. They didn't go around protesting on political issues, medical issues. Then he go on the steps of the temple of Diana and said, Diana is a false god. Come to Christ. No. What did they do to change that culture? They share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as they share the gospel of Jesus Christ, without the New Testament, by the way, it wasn't fully canonized in that time. They changed that city around where now this god, Diana, is no more. It wasn't because of protesting. Don't get caught up on that. Christians should be protesting Jesus Christ, proclaiming, not protesting, proclaiming. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, you stand where there's biblical principles, because today, oh, you know, we got so many Christians. Oh, yeah, you know, they stole the election. Oh, you know, it's like crazy. Is that what you're going to be known for, political issues, or to be a Christian? If you change people to Christ, you don't have to worry about protesting about political issues. Because the gospel itself would change the heart of man, and they would realize what the government, these legislators are passing that are not biblical. And then when it's time to vote, they're voting with a Christian mindset. Now, here's the why. Why did Paul write to Timothy to set things straight? Drop down to verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1. Verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1. Paul writes this. As I urge you when I was in Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause dispute rather than godly edification, which is in faith. And we'll study that more in detail in our next study, Lord willing. So before the church of Ephesus became the church, we see that you know, Ephesus was predominantly a pagan city. It's pretty much where we live now, not so much, well, there's evil and paganism everywhere, but in our world, we live in a pagan world where evil, perversion, sexual immorality is rampant. You find it in TV commercials, billboards, magazines. It's like you just can't go out. You have to see something that's perverted. And now the perversion is working into public schools, which is sad. So we need to pray If we're not careful enough, paganism may work its way into your life and into the church. We can't be influenced by the things of the world. We need to be focused on Jesus Christ and the gospel and stick to that. That's why this book is applicable even for us today. It's amazing, almost 2,000 years that this letter was written and it's applicable for us today. 
Now, the church of Ephesus was thriving. When you get to Acts chapter 20, you find that uh, Paul had the uh, first ever pastor's conference. <laughs> the first pastor's conference is in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 30. It says this, therefore, take heed, he's speaking to leaders, to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Let him know it's not you. It's Jesus who purchased the church through his blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves would come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourself, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples among themselves. Apparently, you know, this letter, when you think about the history of Ephesus, it birthed out of Paul's ministry. You find this letter that Paul is writing to Ephesus, and you read Ephesians as well. They continued so much into probably the dispute that's mentioned in 1 Timothy to the point that Jesus had to mention them in his letter to the seven churches. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You have left your first love. And can I tell you? That could also happen to me. I could be so busy about the business of the church, administration of the church, and ministry that I could forget to pull back and now spend time with my first love, Jesus Christ. But here, the church of Ephesus, you know, they probably were a very scholarly group. Why? Because of all the churches that Paul uh, spent time with, Ephesus was the one that he stayed along with almost three years. Paul was with Ephesus for almost three years. That's like college right there. They probably got like 150 college credits being with Paul. However, knowledge puffs up, doesn't it? I know Christians, they're apologetics and all this and that. And guess what? They don't share anything about the love of God. It's all smart. So they want to show how smart they are. They haven't really spent time to really keep the simple things simple. You see? And so they continue with probably the doctrines and the fables and endless genealogies. And they left their first love. Now... For you students of God's word, that's a who, what, where, why. And I'm going to give you an outline for those of you who are taking notes. Chapter 1, the chapter outline, chapter 1 is the teaching in the church. The teaching in the church. Chapter 2 and 3 is the leadership and the people in the church. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 deal with the leadership and instructions for the church. So this is for the church. This is for you. This is for me. This is for leaders and even lay people. It doesn't really matter. You're part of the body of Christ. This letter is for you. So we read our text. We get a little background. Now let's study our text verse by verse. We're going to look at verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Throughout scripture, you'll find no greater enemy. No greater enemy of the early church of Jesus Christ than Saul, Saul of Tarsus. But also, throughout the scriptures, you'll find no greater missionary, writer, church planter, pastor than Paul the Apostle. It's amazing how God could turn someone around. And now he's changing the world around, and he did during his time in ministry. And even while Paul suffered great persecution, even while he was in prison, guess what? He writes the prison epistles. 
Put him in prison, you can't stop him. He has a pen. <laughs> he has Pyrus. He's going to write letters to Ephesians, to Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And so he writes a letter. So even while he was in chains, while he was in chains, Roman soldiers had three shifts, eight-hour shifts. One would be chained to Paul, and he leaves, and guess what? He's saved. <laughs> he can't leave. He's chained to Paul. He gets saved. Guess what? He leaves, and the next guy comes in and says, oh, man, I got to be chained to Paul. What did I do? I got my commander upset. Now he's going to chain me to Paul. Nobody wants to be a Paul. But then the other guy leaves. I am saved. He hugs the Roman soldier. Jesus, I love you too. But oh no, I got to be chained. This is how I'm going to come out. He gets chained to Paul and he gets saved. And guess what? All of Rome, pretty much most of the Roman soldiers were saved. Paul shared with them, you know that Jew named Jesus of Nazareth, that Pilate, your governor, had you physically nailed to the cross. Let me tell you about that man. Even though I wasn't there, I nailed him with you. And he shared. So Paul, that's his name, Paul. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now Paul, when he gives this title here, he's not exalting himself but in any way. But he's addressing, because he's addressing serious matters within the church, he's speaking with authority. So when he says Paul, he's just right, hey, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. Not, not that you have a book by Paul written like that, but I'm pretty sure he wrote probably other letters were written by Paul as a, how you doing, hey, let's hang out, let's have coffee, or, you know, you take your mule, I'll take my mule, we'll meet somewhere. But he's writing on behalf of God. He's writing to the church of God. He's writing to fellow believers. And not only he's identifying himself, but he's giving his title. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's speaking with authority. So this letter that we're going to read and study, 1 Timothy, is ordained and is inspired by God. Now, the word apostle in the Greek is apostolos. Apostolos. It means one who is sent out. Now, you'll find other apostles... In the scriptures in the New Testament, you'll find Barnabas, Epaphroditus, Junia, and James. Those are just to name a few apostles. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23. It says, they are messengers of the church, the glory of Christ. Now, the word messenger there in the Greek is the same word apostolos. So if you have the Greek lexicon and you look and you have the Bible software, I hope you do, uh, you highlight that word messenger and it's the same word apostolos. However, there is a difference. They were sent out by the church. There are two type of apostles in the New Testament. If you will, they're lowercase apostles, and there's capital A apostles, lowercase a, and capital A apostles. And I'm going to prove that to you in scripture. Um, those that we just mentioned, they're those who were sent out by the church. They were sent out commissioned by the church. However, the apostle, as Paul, is speaking, it speaks of one who was sent by Christ. There is a difference. Now, in a broader sense, we're all sent out. In a broader sense, we're all apostles in that we are to go out and share the gospel, right? You go out there, you proclaim, they come in here, we explain. You preach out there, we teach in here. So we're to do that. We're sent out to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, there is a distinction between apostle of the church and apostle of Jesus Christ. The apostles of Jesus Christ are the 12, minus Judas plus Paul the apostle. 
And then you have Matthias. Anybody ever heard of Matthias? No, they just cast lots. There you go. He became one of the apostles. Now, why is that? Because these men, the capital A apostles, as the apostle Paul and the 12 apostles, were personally called and commissioned and sent out by Jesus Christ himself. That's the difference between a capital A apostle and a lowercase a apostle. Lowercase a, sent by the church, commissioned by the church. But capital A, not to make one more than the other, but so you know the distinction between one sent out from the church, one sent out by Christ. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts gives us the qualification of a capital A apostle. You remember when Jesus went and he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1. He said, go into Jerusalem, stay there until the promise of the Holy Spirit would come. During that time as they were waiting, you know Peter, he's got to go ahead and do something. He said, listen, we don't have Judas anymore. There's only 11 of us. We know it has to be 12, so let us pray. Let us cast lots. But he says... What are the qualifications, as with anything in leadership? Qualification of an elder is in scripture. Qualification of a bishop is in scripture. Qualification of a deacon is in scripture. So Peter gives the qualification as they try to find out who's going to take Judah's place. Acts chapter 1, verses 21 to 22, Peter says, Therefore, these men, candidates, if you will, who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. In other words, someone who was with us. Now, Jesus had many disciples. There were the 12, but there were other people who followed. One of them had to be followers, even though they weren't of the 12. Then he said, being from baptism of John, so they had to be baptized to the day when he, speaking of Jesus, was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness, here it is, it's, a set, it's another qualification, a witness with us of his resurrection. Question, does anybody today qualifies? I think not, unless you're about 2,000 years old. But that's why we need to be careful when people say, I'm an apostle, my name is Apostle. And I remember you get business cards, Apostle doctor, reverend. I said, wow, which one do you want me to call you? By the time I call you, it's lunchtime. I mean, and they just love titles. But be careful when people call themselves apostles. It's not biblical. Qualification is here. They have to, have to physically, visually see Jesus, had to be commissioned by Jesus. Paul saw Jesus that he was blind for three days. He was commissioned by Jesus. And he saw the resurrected Jesus. And that's what Peter is saying here. Also, we can see that they were used by the Holy Spirit to write some of the scriptures, you know, and church doctrine. And the apostles, you know, let me tell you, most of them died martyrs' death. So if you want to be an apostle, okay. You want to be an apostle? Hey, look what Paul went through. And look how he ended up. In heaven, but how did he get to heaven? All of them died a martyr's death except John the apostle. A martyr's death. But the doctrine that was given to them by the Holy Spirit has to be respected. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 20, he says, Paul writes, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of his household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. If it wasn't for the apostles, 
we wouldn't have most of the New Testament. If it wasn't for the Apostle Paul, two-thirds of the New Testament would be missing. That's why what's written by Paul, in Paul, as far as doctrine, as far as church, order, it needs to be followed, respected, and honored. Now, a question would come to mind. Why would Paul identify himself writing to Timothy? I mean, he knows Timothy. Timothy is his protege. He's like his son in the faith. Why would he write to him an apostle? Duh, Paul, I know you're an apostle. You don't have to brag and show it around. No, there's a reason why. The first reason was he's speaking with authority. This letter that he's writing is with authority from God, is inspired by God, and we need to follow it. Secondly, it's not only for a pastor. It's for you and I. It's for you and me. For example, you need to know the church structure. You need to know how the leadership in Calvary Chapel is operating and how we have leadership. Those that have been ordained as deacons, we look at Acts chapter 6, right? And then we looked at the scriptures. And then before we ordained them here before you, we read those passages of scriptures, Acts chapter 6 and in Timothy chapter 3. It's, what is the qualification? Well, let's read it. It's not by, okay, he's the popular, he's a nice guy. Oh, I like the way he dressed. I like the way he smiles. He's good. He looks like a deacon. It's not the way he goes. Well, we did that for Steve. <laughs> not just kidding. He's the only one with a suit. He's so holy. Now, nah, let me stop. <laughs> it's your day today, Steve. But we looked at the scriptures. We see if he fell in. Going to Acts chapter 6, remember when there was a dispute over who gets what? And the apostle says, hey, we can't be worrying about serving tables. You know, we need to be praying and studying the scriptures. Why don't we ordain, you know, seven men who are in spirit, good reputation? We looked at that in Acts chapter 6. Then we go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's how we do it. And that way you, you're part of this church family. You know how the leadership is put together. It's scriptural. It's biblical. It's not because we like somebody. It's not because everybody likes them. It's biblical. Or let's say someone comes to me, hey, Pastor Reddy, you know, I've been serving in this church, and I've been a part of church for a long time, you know. How come you haven't laid hands on me to be a leader? Well, first of all, that's pride right there. That's one reason why not. But secondly, we could look at the scriptures in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. A deacon is one that's not double-tongued, not given to wine, much wine, not greedy for money, committed to the mysteries of the faith. Their wife is reverent and not slanderous. Their house is in order. Is that happening? Is that happening in your life? Your home is in order? When I was pastoring a church in New York City, his house was out of order. And no matter how much I tried work with him, I said, listen, you know, people hate to have titles taken away. <laughs> But it didn't go well, but the reality is he wasn't fit to continue as a deacon. Because if somebody reads the scriptures, they're going to come to him, hey, well, I know his house is out of order. I'm not saying you're going to find every little fault on a leader. But that's what it says in Timothy. You will know what qualifies a deacon, what qualifies a bishop or an elder. It tells you. I'm You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. We've been looking at some useful and practical advice that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. This book jumps into what it looks like to be a leader in the church. Paul also doesn't shy away from encouraging those who are young to run with zeal. 
and not grow discouraged. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in spirit, in faith, in purity. If you're facing opposition because of your age, be reminded that Timothy faced similar struggles and God used him mightily, just like he can use you too. We're so glad you joined us today for Running the Race. Are you in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area? If so, Jessica has an invitation for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. On our website, we also have some helpful resources to assist you in what you're learning or how you're studying the Bible. Just click on the Study Helps tab at runningtheraceradio.com. We're so glad you tuned in today. And we look forward to the next edition in the book of 1 Timothy on running the race.